Now, there's an old adage in journalism that if it bleeds, it leads. You heard that before? The idea is that if it's gruesome and uh, disturbing, it gets on the front page. And we know this. If you've read the newspaper recently, if you've seen the front page, if you've read the BBC News, some kind of web related news service, you know that the top stories are always the most heart-rending stories. And that's because they capture us. Or why is it? Some people say, well, maybe it's because our journalists are all cynics. I remember saying, I said this this morning, and it happened to catch you, I have a journalist in the second row, so quickly apologize. But maybe it's our journalists are cynics. Maybe that's the problem. Well, actually, psychologists have done some research into this, and they've uncovered what they describe as a negativity bias, which is to say that we as human beings are predisposed to prefer bad news. We prefer it. It connects with us somehow. Uh, Evolutionary behaviorists talk about uh, the fact that this has evolved in us because it's enabled us to be more aware of danger. And so that's why, apparently, possibly, We have this negativity bias at work. Whatever the reason, apparently it's there. And yet, this week, I came across another story. Uh, In fact, another perspective. And it was in the Guardian newspaper of all places. You can see it on the screen. And if you've got brilliant eyesight, you might even be able to read some of the words. What the Guardian have done over the last year is to do a piece of research. And they've done it by dropping in positive news stories into their feed. And what they found with these positive news stories, and they've done now over the last year, over 150 of them, on uh, things, and they've described the merits of things as diverse as dog poo, ketamine, gardening, and various other things as well. And they say this, read, you might be able to read this in fact, reader numbers for this kind of journalism have proven remarkably robust throughout the project, with almost one in 10 readers on averaging sharing stories on social media. It seems like good news just has to be shared. And for them, this has led to a change in their strategy. They say this, we will develop ideas that help improve the world, not just critique it. This great line, this, despair is just another form of denial. People long to feel hopeful again. And young people especially yearn to feel the hope that previous generations once had. So... What they've done on the back of that is to create a special sort of portal within their website, a hub which propagates these positive news stories. And they're offering an opportunity for people like you and I to get involved and to shape the conversation. So, as you can see, just this week I decided that I would do just that. I've put in my details there. That's my name. That's where I live. And they're offering an opportunity for us to to share things that we think, positive news stories that we think could change The conversation in this nation. So I just couldn't help myself. There we go. What stories, trends, innovations, or trailblazers would you like to see covered in this series? I put the resurrection of Jesus. And there is my email, should you wish to complain. (laughs) So I sent that in to them this week. I'm slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I'm not expecting necessarily them to lead with it next week. But... What we're celebrating today is the greatest news story in the history of the universe. It is the climax, not just to the Christian story, but for Christians, we believe that this moment is the moment. It is the moment that defines every other moment. 
This is uh, the birthplace of so much that God has in store for you and I, but for our whole creation. Uh, that the destiny of the whole creation of God's entire work of art, that is the universe, was shaped and defined in the moment of Jesus breaking out of the tomb. It is an incredibly powerful and significant moment. The significance of this moment for Christians and everyone else could not, in fact, be overstated. And this moment, the resurrection that we're looking at tonight, uh, is the climax of the Christian story, of the kingdom story. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking in this series called Basics about some of the fundamental building blocks, if you like, of the Christian story. And really, at the heart of this whole piece In the last four weeks, if you've been engaged with it, if you've been here, is this idea of Jesus coming and announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's kind of shorthand, first century shorthand for this this terminology. We, We might want to rephrase it today, that God is taking the power back. God is taking the power back. That's what Jesus is claiming, that in his own life, And ultimately, in his death and resurrection, God is taking the power back. He's wrestling, wresting the power back, the power that had held creation. Ultimately, which was defined by sin and death, he's taking it back. And he's releasing into the heart of creation life. This is the kingdom story. And the climax of these events, these events of healing, these events of Jesus touching people and healing them, restoring their dignity, their humanity, the events of him preaching good news, giving people a new way to live, in fact, a new way to be human. He's restoring social outcasts, bringing them into the center of not just his own family, but God's family. All these things Jesus did, the climax of these things is the cross and the resurrection. It's there that the kingdom of God, the project advances apace and in fact is fully established. That's what we've been looking at. And because of that, we can say with confidence that the resurrection of Jesus is good news. Can I get an amen? It's good. I can get an amen. Good. It is good news. But let's be honest. It's strange news. I mean, nobody saw it coming, did they? Even the disciples who were warned three times, three times about his death and his resurrection, even they didn't see it coming. They didn't grasp what Jesus was really going on about. They they couldn't possibly uh, anticipate that God was going to do this. You see, the Jewish people had an expectation that there would come a day when God would raise people from the dead, but there would be one day, and on that day, he would raise all people at the same time. Nobody had an expectation that God would just do it with one person in anticipation of all the other people. That was a complete mind bender for them. So when Jesus is raised from the dead, it it screws up their expectations of what God will do. You see, the resurrection always does that. Jesus always does that. When Jesus comes into somebody's life, when, when somebody begins to engage with Jesus at a more serious level, he starts to mess things around. You know, and you can have this really cleaned up life, this cleaned up way of life. You have your routines, you have your rhythms. You know, if your breakfast at seven, four Weetabix, just a little bit of uh, sugar on top, just not too much, just a little bit. 
I don't know if I'm giving too much away here. You have your coffee, you have your quiet, you know, you, you can even have religious routines, by the way. A nice little quiet time and sit down and light a candle and it's, oh, it's lovely. <laughs> and I go to work and I'm really kind and respectful to people and I'm hoping to move on in my career. And whatever your routines are, and Jesus comes into the middle of that, even the most well-swept houses and he throws a party. And he invites people into your house that you just don't think should be there. They're not the kind of people you thought of hanging out with. This is what Jesus does. This is what resurrection does. It messes up the place a little bit. It's strange news. It's not the kind of news we expect. (laughs) What is it? What is it all about? That's the question I want to ask tonight. What is the resurrection really all about? What difference does it make? What significance does it have for us today? And we're going to look at Matthew because he's got a better idea than me. Matthew 28. Let's read this. Verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who in these parts I think is known as T'other Mary, went to look at the tomb. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day, day of the week. The first clue as to the significance of the resurrection is right here in the first verse of Matthew 28. At dawn on the first day of the week. Students of the Bible will catch something here. Dawn on the first day of the week. This is imagery. This is language borrowed from the creation account. This is Genesis 1 retold. Let's just read Genesis 1. We're just going to read a couple of verses. And God said, verse 3 of Genesis 1, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. At dawn on the first day of the week. Whatever else the resurrection is about, it's about a new beginning. It's about new creation. It's about, and I resist here singing Disney to you, but it's about a whole new world. But not just a whole new world, a whole new universe. It's, it is a fresh start. The resurrection is about new creation. What happens on the cross is that Jesus deals with all of, the, all of the problems that are left over in the old creation, particularly sin and death. Will just did a, an amazing job of talking to us on Friday, in fact, last Sunday as well, about what the cross is and what it does. The resurrection continues, uh, fully uh, fulfills, would probably be the word, fulfills that work. It is in, in the resurrection that the kingdom is fully established, that it comes in power. Jesus is enthroned on the cross on Good Friday, but the kingdom comes in power on Easter Sunday. One without the other would both be missing something. And the thread we've been chasing all the way through this series, the thread we've been chasing is all about the kingdom. And this picture that begins in Genesis 1 of God creating a good world in which we might enjoy him and enjoy one another. Live in intimacy with him, enjoying his own presence in our lives. And, the, and that that world is, is uh, flawed and broken by uh, our own decision to go our own way. 
And the rest of the Bible, we said this pretty early on in this series, is God's relentless quest to bring his people and his whole creation back to himself. And that is a kingdom story. It is a cosmic story. And it requires a king. And the whole of Israel, in fact, the whole of the world has been waiting for this king who would bring God's perfect shalom, biblical word for peace, but it's more than peace. It's a peace which is filled in every pore of every person's life and which permeates every pore of the universe. That is shalom. And God says, I'm going to bring that shalom and I myself will bring it as I send my ruler, my king. And that person, that, uh, that person was to be named Messiah, king. So this long-awaited king would be the one who would bring God's perfect rule and his perfect reign. This is the story Jesus steps into. It is a massive story. And it's a story, and this is what I want you to get here. It's a story which includes the whole universe. It isn't a religious story. What do I mean by that? I mean this. When we make something religious, we, we get to say, well, here's something religious. I'll just put it in over in the religious space over here. There's a, there's a candle. It must belong over there in the religious space. And I'm just going to get on with my life over here where you know, I do my own thing. That's not what this is about. The kingdom of God is, is a whole life thing. It's not just a whole life thing. It's a whole universe thing. There's no person that this story doesn't touch. This is about everything and everyone. A whole new creation. New creation is already happening here and now. It has broken in. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can taste and touch and sense and feel it. New creation happens when one person displays Jesus-like love for another person. New creation happens when somebody comes from another part of the world and they're loved right away because Jesus loves them. New creation happens when we make new friends that we didn't know before just because Jesus loves them. New creation happens when we pray for somebody because Jesus loves them. New creation happens when somebody's healed because Jesus loves them. New creation happens when, in some small way, we, act, we choose to act with integrity. Even if it costs us something because Jesus wants that for our lives. New creation is all over the place. It's happening in tiny, tiny ways. And sometimes it happens in measurable, massive ways. Oh gosh, they're the exciting ways. <clears throat> but the new creation is among us. It is upon us. God has begun and he is not holding back. The resurrection determines it. And there will come a day when every one of us is caught up in new creation completely and fully. There will come a day when every broken body will be healed. There will come a day when every wounded mind will be restored. There will come a day when every fractured soul will be saved. When every grieving parent will be reunited. And when every one of us will see Jesus even now as he sees us. The new creation is coming and it's begun. And there's evidence in this text as well. Read this. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. I, I love that. It's just a little line, but it means a lot. <clears throat> I'm not going to go into too much first century context, but let me just say this. <clears throat> in this culture, if you wanted witnesses for an event like this, 
you wouldn't choose two women. In this culture, women were not considered as reliable witnesses in a court of law. And so if you wanted to display something, if you wanted to pull off a really big trick and have people witness it, you'd choose a few men, only the men are nowhere to be seen. Why? Because the men are scared to death. The men are too afraid to even show up to the party. Draw your own conclusions, ladies. <laughs> Something's going on here. I think what Matthew was showing us is that this resurrection story is the great reversal. The resurrection is a new creation, but it's a creation in which the rules just don't look like they did before. It's a creation in which every person is given new dignity. And where the women are the first evangelists and even the first apostles. It is about new creation. The resurrection is about new power. Read on with me. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I said this this morning, but I love it. You roll back the stone and then what do you do with the stone? If you're an angel, you sit on it. Of course you do. What else would you do with the stone? His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. This is power. The resurrection is about power. I mean, that's stating the obvious, isn't it? What does it take to make a dead person alive? Well, I don't know. Some power, at least. God's power. The resurrection is about power. We live so much of our lives, partly because of what I said right at the beginning, in a Good Friday world. And we see all around us suffering and heartbreak. I've seen it today, and so have you. But I want you to know there is power at work in the universe because of the resurrection, that God's power is at work in the universe. And God is able and capable of doing immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And sometimes, even though we're caught in Good Friday, we have to hope and trust that Sunday's coming. Sometimes we're between, directly between Friday and Sunday, stuck in Saturday, just waiting. But I'm here to tell you, Sunday is coming. Sunday always comes. Sunday always comes because of the resurrection of Jesus. Sunday always comes. God has let loose power into the universe. And there are moments when we experience it and it's glorious. Sometimes it's in worship. And we're just, we're just in it and it's, God is with us and it's wonderful. Sometimes it's when we're on our own. I, I, I love being alone. Sometimes I love being alone and just... Sometimes just a sense of God's presence. Some of you cycle alone or with groups of others. You might sense the presence of God, God's power in those places. Maybe you're being prayed for. Maybe you're playing football. Maybe you're just chatting with a friend. It doesn't have to be a sacred space. God is in all things and at all times working and giving us experiences of his power. But God's power is at work in the universe. And it is a new power. The old power had to do with sin and death. And God's power, the new power, is all about delivering his love. I think that's what determines God's power as being different from all other power. Human power is used to crush and subjugate people. God's power is used to elevate and bless. God's power is used to display his love. That's how he uses it, to serve and to bless. 
a new power, new rules, a new system. But it is powerful. And it will win the day. The new power is more powerful than the old power. The old power, wielded by Assad, will fall. And it will be judged. It will be judged. And Jesus' power will overcome. A new creation, new power, a new king. Listen to this. He's not here. No. The angel said to the woman, first back, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. What we have here is news. And the news is news of a king. News of a coming kingdom. What we have in the resurrection is a declaration, an affirmation, or to use the language some theologians use, a vindication that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is, in fact, the rightful king. What happens in the resurrection is that we see that what happened on the cross was indeed effective. You know, the cross was a victory. It was God's victory over sin and death. But if we didn't have the resurrection, Jesus would just look like another failed Messiah. You know, there'd been umpteen young Jewish men with a band of people to follow him around, charging into Jerusalem, some with swords and others with, I was going to say rifles, probably didn't have rifles back then. (laughs) Charging into Jerusalem with a message and good intentions to throw out the Romans, to crush Herod and to take the power back. And every one of them was crucified on a Roman cross. Without the resurrection, Jesus just looks like another failure. And yet because of the resurrection, what we see is that he is who he said he is. The kingdom of God has come. And yes, this is Messiah. Because there's an empty tomb, we know that this man is who he said he is. He is Emmanuel, God with us forever. He is Yeshua, God saves us. He is Messiah, the King. And he's enthroned and he is let loose. And he's still at work. And because of this new king, we know that the whole universe is now under new management. This is good news. Leslie Newbegin, a theologian with perhaps the best name ever given to anyone, uh, said this, The resurrection was not the reversal of a defeat, but the manifestation of a victory. The resurrection doesn't make right God's mistake on the cross. No. The resurrection is the moment where we see the beauty of the cross. What a wonderful thing God did for us there. Finally, finally we receive, and they receive new purpose. Look at this. Come and see the place where he lay. Verse six, get this next one. Then go quickly and tell all his disciples. And then suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here, finally, pulling all this together. Once you've seen the resurrection, what you receive is new purpose. There's something for each of us going forward from this moment. 
And it begins with an encounter with Jesus. It always begins with meeting Jesus. These disciples are told by the angel, come and see. Come and see the empty grave. And I want to say to you tonight, come and see Jesus. Wherever you are at, wherever you're from, whether you have 50 years of faith behind you or five minutes in this church, I want to say this. Jesus is real and he loves you and he's for you. And there is a future for your life. There is hope ahead of you. There is a new start for you with him. Come and see. Come and see. And when you have seen, watch it. You will go and tell. Because you cannot meet somebody like him and not be utterly compelled and not be changed. And it's my prayer for myself, let alone you, that I would meet him again. That my knowledge of him would be refreshed and that yours would too. We receive new purpose. We meet with Jesus and he sends us out to join him in changing the world. To join him in bringing the whole creation under God's governance. I'll summarize with some words from Tom Wright. Some of you may have heard of him. Here then is the message of Easter. Or at least the beginning of that message. The resurrection doesn't mean, it's all right, we're going to heaven now. No, the life of heaven has been born on this earth. It doesn't mean, so there is a life after death. Well, there is, but Easter says much, much more than that. It speaks of a life that is neither ghostly nor unreal, but solid and definite and practical. The Easter stories come at the end of the four Gospels, but they're not about an end. They're about a beginning. The beginning of God's new world. The beginning of the kingdom. God is now in charge on earth as in heaven. And God's being in charge is focused on Jesus himself being king and Lord. The title on the cross was true after all. The resurrection proves it. So what? New beginning. There's a new beginning for every one of us. There's a new beginning. You know that, don't you? There's a new beginning. There's a fresh start for every one of us ahead. And it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how many glorious triumphs you've had, how many degrees you've accrued, how many successes. It doesn't matter how many failures, how many mistakes. There's a new beginning. And the resurrection of Jesus is a new start for every single person. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to spend your new beginning? How are you going to live the new beginning? If you knew you couldn't screw up, what would you do? If God was so utterly for you, and you knew he wasn't looking to trip you up, but you couldn't mess it up, what would you do with your life? How would you spend it? It's audacious, isn't it? Bursting out of a tomb, that's pretty audacious too. What would our city look like if we lived in the light of an empty tomb? There's a new beginning. There's new power. There's new power at work. You're not doing it alone. The same power which raised Jesus from the dead is at life at work in you and me. 
as we take Jesus seriously and walk out what it means to follow him. We're not alone. We are never alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Never alone. You don't have to live it on your own. You can ask Jesus to come alongside you, to help you, to walk with you. And he will. There is new power. There is a new king. The world is under new management. And the call for each of us is to allow to bring our own lives under that management. To give him, uh, for want of a less hackneyed cliche, the wheel. (laughs) To give him uh, control. To give him the space and the room to bring about his new creation in our own lives. To let him begin again. A new king. Finally, a new purpose. You're wondering what to do with your life. Here it is. Come and see. Come and see. Go and tell. Go and tell. For me, I'm wondering for myself what it means, what it might mean for me to to look at my life, my whole life in the light of the resurrection. I think I so often look at my life and even the great things that God has blessed me with family, marriage, this amazing thing that I get to do and I get paid for it. It's ridiculous to do this, to share this with you. But I look at it often and I don't look at it through the resurrection. I don't see it. I don't, I don't look at it in the light of an empty tomb, in the light of God's power and possibility. I often look at it, I guess, I guess I'm talking about the glass half full thing. But there's something more powerful than that still. What what would my life look like? What would my day-to-day life look like in light of the resurrection? I want to pose that question to you. What might be possible? What might God imagine for your life if you were joining it with him? Why don't we stand?